Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we'll conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If analysts require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchdown telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you so much, Stephanie, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Nutrition and Healthy Eating Tips During and After Cancer Treatments. And this is, I have to say, this is a call that we love to be able to offer as often as possible because we know that you all have a great deal of interest in this topic, um, and it's, it's gotten a lot of, um, it's just something that we all are very interested in, in general. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and because of the topic and this collaboration and all of you, we have on the call today over 970 participants. So there's a lot of you on the call. And even though you can't see each other, you're all here. And we also have participants from other countries as well, from Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, Macedonia, Mexico, Netherlands, Nigeria, Philippines, Serbia, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. This is really an international call with people from all over the world on this call today. And today's program was made possible by Helsin Therapeutics U.S. and supported by a grant from Genentech. We really want to thank them for their support of this program and for their corporate uh, sponsorship and their, and their corporate partnership in making this program possible. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. And Dr. Fleischman is founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, Accreditation Surveyor, American College of Surgeons, Commission on Cancer. And Dr. Fleischman is going to present an overview of cancer treatments, treatment-related changes in weight, symptoms and side effects that disrupt eating, coping with fatigue, infection control, mouth sores, and dry mouth, and talking with your healthcare team about your eating challenges. And again, um, Dr. Fleischman is going to cover a lot of these topics. Some of these may um, be issues for you, some of them not, but we did want to be comprehensive initially and just giving you a kind of an overview of some of the things that can be challenging um, when you're undergoing cancer treatments or post-treatment as well. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Fleischman. Good morning, Dr. Messner, and uh, maybe not be morning where everybody is, but good day. Um, I'm very excited that we are presenting this topic again. It's one I think is underrepresented in a lot of our work and our education in the cancer field. Um, we've learned over the years that cancer treatment deeply affects how our body maintains itself, uh, especially with regards to nutrition. Um, many people untrained in cancer, untouched by cancer, who haven't had someone in their circle um, who has had cancer knows that often patients with cancer can lose a lot of weight and lose a lot of energy. And our goal is to try to uh, learn as much about this and teach as much about this so much of that weight loss can be forestalled. Um, cancer treatment, uh, as we see it today in the modern world, and in 20 years this will probably change quite a bit, is usually related to three modalities, um, surgery for cancer, radiation therapy, or using um, radiation to actually seal off an area of, uh, that has cancer cells growing in it, and um, medical oncology or chemotherapy, which has changed so much over recent years from intravenous only um, medications to many new oral preparations, each of which have um, their own effects on uh, nutrition and general health. 
Um, we, although we speak often about people who lose weight uh, with cancer treatment and with cancer, we really um, also need to acknowledge that certain folks actually gain weight during uh, their cancer treatment. Um, these are often patients who have cancers that are related to hormone actions, particularly those of women with breast cancer or men with breast cancer or men with prostate cancer. And we find that uh, because of the hormonal uh, aspects of their treatment and their cancer, sometimes they'll gain weight. And we like to try to get the message out that there are effective things to do beforehand so that doesn't happen. Um, but let's uh, pr pretty much discuss the weight loss first, and then we'll get to the weight gain. So um, the treatments in particular that can be related to cancer are, are, again, often hormonally based, but sometimes related to many of the medications that we take. For example, a lot of the pain medicines slow down bowel function. Um, steroid medicines, particularly cortisone, I mean, different names, different brands, um, decadron, dexamethasone, uh, prednisone, often cause people to get the munchies, um, get hungry, and actually put on um, some weight that is really mostly uh, water and um, fat weight, not really muscle weight. And uh, what we've learned over the uh, recent years is that we'd like to help people protect their ideal body weight. Ideal body weight is a fancy term for good muscle, <laughs> and that's the part that actually helps us function the best and can actually um, keep our energy up as we move uh, through and then beyond cancer treatment. Um, there are um, people who have estimated that if for someone who has, let's say, um, lung cancer, uh, which has spread to the liver or spread to the lungs or spread to the bones, that it takes thousands of calories. Some estimates as high as six or 8,000 calories a day in some people to maintain their body. Now, just imagine when we, um, many of us have gone on diets when we haven't had cancer or when we have cancer and are trying to eat quite a bit eating that much food to get that many calories a day is really, really tough. It means you're eating all day. It means you're shopping. It means you're cooking. Uh, it means you have to clean up, which is <laughs> a big burden. Um, and that's a, a full, more than a full-time job in addition to going for treatments. So um, people have figured out that there are um, a number of things to do to be able to get more calories in, in a realistic way. Ideally, um, a, a sort of a, quote, prescription for your um, nutrition uh, during cancer should be done by a nutritionist with experience in oncology. Um, although there are overlaps to the kinds of things that happen to patients who have um, kidney disease or liver disease, there are particular problems that are unique to uh, the cancer world and seeing a nutritionist, especially in an accredited center where these uh, services have to be available either at the center or in the community is really, really important. And getting the right kinds of calories in, not empty calories, but good calories that have fiber associated with them, that have vitamins and minerals associated with them, as well as the right, the right number of calories and the right kind of calories is the kind and the basis of essential information that um, we see can help the most and you will be able to get the most benefit out of. So um, it, although we really are talking about mostly nutrition today, if we look at the broader picture, uh, good nutrition adequate restorative uh, rest and sleep, 
and the proper amount of activity are sort of a troika or a three-legged stool that each helps the other function better and helps the stool stay the most stable. And we believe that in cancer nutrition, these three things really work together uh, to be able to help patients the most. If you think about um, just what happens when all of us eat, um, th there are, you can figure, start to figure out where the problem lies by thinking about the, the root of food throughout the body. Think about what happens when we eat. We first look at food, we smell the food, it excites us that those senses actually start our body and prepare our body to receive the food in a very automatic way. But then we need to eat it, we need to chew it, we need to swallow it. It has to go into our stomach, our stomach churns it around, puts a lot of enzymes and digestive juices in there, and then it moves through the digestive tract, through the small intestines and large intestines, and finally gets separated into liquid waste and solid waste, and then we either urinate it out or it goes into our bowel movements. If you, you can pretty much identify problems in each of those areas that can impede good nutrition. If our smell and our taste is off or, or uh, as a result of chemotherapy or radiation therapy, food may not taste well, it may not be as attractive because it doesn't smell as well. Some people say lots of things smell badly during their treatment and that's a temporary phenomenon. Uh, swallowing is hard, especially if you have mouth sores. Um, if you're getting radiation or chemotherapy, um, and the mouth can be affected even if uh, they're not the treatment isn't directed at that point. People who have head and neck cancer have other problems, too much mucus or not enough mucus, dry mouth. Um, but uh, the chemotherapy can affect the mouth and the esophagus and the, the the tube that brings the food from the mouth down to the stomach um, in cancers all over the body. So um, we find that swallowing can be a problem, coordinating the swallow. Um, actually, the food in the stomach may be affected by a change in the um, acid that goes in, the enzymes that go in, antibiotics that are often taken during treatment can affect the large intestines and small intestines, often what we call the bowels. We know that um, other medicines um, can actually affect how those, th that part of the body works. Uh, so you can pretty much pinpoint from start to finish where the problem can be, even if the number of calories that are going in are adequate, as well as the kind of calories that are going in are adequate. And we often see that good, the, the, these, three, these three basics, the nutri good nutrition, um, physical activity and restorative rest and sleep can reduce the fatigue that people experience, um, so they're not as tired as they would be. Their energy is better. Uh, there are um, there's a much better response to infection. Infections happen in all of us during chemotherapy, radiation therapy, or after surgery. The body really has to mount a, a massive effort to try to fight them off, and good nutrition is essential to those whole systems working in addition to be able, being able to tolerate the antibiotics we use. Um, and again, dry mouth, local tricks that can be, that things that can be done in the mouth that can really help people um, 
tolerate their treatments well. So it's so important to be able to talk to your healthcare team and try to have them assess with you where the problem is. Is it the type of calories, the, the quality of the calories, the number of calories, or if there is a problem from the start of the digestive process to the end that can be corrected. And the same thing happens, I'll mention a little bit about the weight gain, as I mentioned before. Weight gain, um, if we encourage our patients to be able to reach for the healthiest snacks um, during chemotherapy, during radiation therapy, during their hormonal therapies, as well as a good exercise regimen or activity regimen that can be directed by your treatment team in some places, and in some places the oncology team will ask that physical medicine and rehabilitation be involved. Those things can actually help forestall the problem. As far as other things to do, there are medicines that help stimulate the appetite. Those include, and we'll avoid the legal aspects of the discussion, but uh, marijuana products. There are two legal marijuana products uh, that are available as prescription drugs in all states that are FDA approved for use in, in low appetite. This is apart from the states that are legalizing medical marijuana or marijuana for recreational use. There are, um, there are reports that some amino acids can be helpful. There are reports that some omega-3 fatty acids or fish oils can be helpful. The newest research is looking at two hormones that actually affect our body's ability to think that we're hungry or that we've had enough to eat, ghrelin and leptin. And ghrelin is of particular interest in the cancer world because if we can somehow encourage um, the body to produce ghrelin in the right amount at the right time, we may, be actu may actually be able to naturally stimulate the body to eat. And again, we need good calories of the right kind. Um, just one word about feeding tubes. Often patients during cancer treatment are on feeding tubes, and a, um, an oncology nutrition consult can actually find both natural products, homemade products, as well as commercially made products that can really provide the proper number and type of calories. So I've, I've tried to give a, an overview of a complicated area in a short amount of time. I, I hope this is helpful, and I'll turn this back to Dr. Mester. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and just really set a wonderful, really comprehensive overview for the, today's program, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is uh, Diana Bairden, and Ms. Bairden is a clinical dietitian. She supervises clinical nutrition at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Ms. Bairden is going to address nutrition and healthy eating tips, easy-to-prepare foods, guidelines for eating out and social events with foods, finding foods, and an eating plan that works for you. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Bearden. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm excited to speak on this topic today. There's so much information out there that it's oftentimes hard to understand which direction to go. Um, today I want to talk about, um, you know, eating during your cancer care and after your cancer care. Um, I want to just also add that, you know, everyone is an individual, so um, the information I'm going to discuss today is general information, but definitely talking with your healthcare team about your specific needs, your unique needs, is very important to do um, so, that, um, so that you can get what you need out of your, your treatment. Okay, so just to start with, um, a whole plant 
A whole foods plant-based diet approach is what's recommended during and after cancer care treatment. A whole food is a food that hasn't been processed. This is, can be a little confusing um, for, for some people. And an example of this would be broccoli, apple, um, brown rice, pinto beans, eggs, just as they are. Okay? Uh, a processed foods are typically sold in boxes, jars, cans, bags. They typically have fewer nutrients than a whole food would, and oftentimes they're packaged with additional oil, sugar, salt, artificial ingredients, preservatives, in order to add more color or texture to the food or even increase the shelf life. So eating a mostly plant-based diet is one of the best ways to reduce your risk of cancer. What you want to aim for is at least two-thirds of your plate or your meal to come from a plant. Now, foods that come from a plant are vegetables, fruits, beans, whole grains, and nuts. You want to limit the amount of protein to about one-third of your plate. The proteins that we encourage are fish, poultry, meat, eggs, dairy products. And what you want to try and do is oftentimes throughout the week is replace an animal protein with a plant-based protein. So you're just having some meals where it's all plant-based. And some of the plant-based proteins include beans, lentils, and tofu. A question I often get from patients is how much is enough? You know, how do I know I'm getting enough fruits and vegetables in? And so um, an important thing to recognize here is that your needs need to be evaluated by your healthcare team. Um, like we just heard, different conditions can change your metabolic rate, can change specific needs for you based on medications you might be receiving. But for the general public, what we're looking at as a general statement is women to about five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day, and men about seven to 11 servings. So the next question is, what's a serving? And it really depends on what food you're eating and what form you're eating it in. So to give you some examples, a raw fruit or raw vegetable, on average, about one cup, that's eight ounces. So if you were pulling out some measuring cups, measuring spoons, you'd want to um, get some visual understanding of what that looks like. So if you're out and about, then you go, oh, I, th I think that's about the right portion size. That'll help you from um, over-consuming. Another way to look at it is one serving of a raw fruit or vegetable is also about the size of a tennis ball. If it's cooked, fruits or vegetables, it's a half a cup or four ounces, or about half the size of a tennis ball. If it's a dried fruit, now without a lot of added sugar preservatives, um, two to four tablespoons are about the size of half to one, one full size of a golf ball. So it just depends on, on how big the, the, food, the fruit is. Fruit or vegetable juice, we want to look for 100% juice with no added sugar, and a serving is four ounces. Okay, so why is it that, you know, why is it that we're wanting you to do so much of your plant-based foods? You know, what's the thing with plant-based foods that they're taking up so much of our plate? Well, the reason why they're so important is because they contain the phytonutrients that we need to help protect ourselves. Now, um, what phytonutrients are is they're natural chemicals found in plants, similar, similar to vitamins and minerals. Um, 
thousands have been identified, and what we're finding is that they help protect against all types of diseases, including cancer. So they act as kind of an army in our body. We want to inoculate ourselves each day with these phytonutrients um, to really keep ourselves as protected as we can with our diet. Now, there's still a lot um, that we need to learn about these um, particular phytonutrients, but until more is known, what we're recommending is eating a wide variety. Okay, so just a, a good way to look at it is a color um, of all different, all different colors on your plate, a rainbow of food. So you want red, yellow, purple, green. Um, one is not more superior than the other, and a lot of times patients come and ask, well, I heard that I really should be eating kale instead of spinach or blueberries instead of apples. And I said, you know, you should be eating all of it. You know, you just want to switch it around. That's the key is the variety. So um, the color tells us a lot about the food. And um, we associate the color with a phytonutrient. So let me give you an example of that. Red, we associate with lycopene. Orange, beta carotene. It doesn't mean that that's the only nutrient in the food. It just means that's the one that's taking the show. So getting a variety of fruits and vegetables and plant-based foods, and that includes beans, peas, and lentils, all of these are plant-based, um, will ensure that we're getting the best exposure we can to all of these nourishing elements from our plant-based items. Now, the form in which we eat our plant-based foods is important, and we really want to start from either fresh or frozen. We want to avoid canned as often as possible, and the reason why is because canned products tend to have more sodium, and they have fewer nutrients. They also may have some added sugar, so um, fresh or frozen is the way to go. Another question I get is, should I be cooking my fruits and vegetables and my plant-based foods? Um, won't the heat kill the nutrients? And actually, it can, but it can also amplify others. So an example of this is tomato sauce. Um, the richer the color, the more available that nutrient is to be absorbed. So when we have a tomato, Compared to a tomato sauce, the tomato sauce actually allows the lycopene in the tomato sauce is actually better absorbed than just in the raw tomato. The heat has activated it, and you know that because the color is richer. Same with broccoli. When you steam broccoli, it becomes much more vibrant. That lets you know that that phytonutrient is going to be better absorbed. Now, heat may kill some others, so we want you to have a variety of both raw and cooked. Now, always cleaning your plant-based foods is important. It doesn't matter if it's organic or conventional, okay? Um, you can have concerns in both areas. And there are products out there, a fruit and vegetable um, spray wash you can use, um, which is very helpful um, for a lot of patients when you're on the go and you're in a rush. Um, they can just kind of clean it as you go or clean it a little before you use it and then put it in the fridge. Um, but we do want you eating the whole food. There's a big movement out there about blending and juicing, and uh, juicing actually removes a lot of the nutrients that we want. We want the pulp. We want the fiber from the food. And I always tell patients, it's really the juice that was put in the fruit for us to eat the fruit. <laughs> so we really want to eat the fruit. Um, blending is a little different. So you are maintaining the fiber, all right? You're just pulverizing it. Um, you're, you're, it's better to blend than it is to juice. But the thing with blending that um, I've noticed and 
experience with patients is once the fiber's been manipulated so much, a lot oftentimes you lose the benefit of the fiber. So what I mean for, by that is fiber is not only good for bowel function, which we which we know about, but it's also good for helping us feel satisfied. That's a big part of our um, mechanism for feeling full. So if we're blending all the fiber up, it's not necessarily staying in that digestive or, or in our stomach as long to where it needs to be processed or um, manipulated before it moves out. So we're not getting the benefit. And oftentimes you can consume more calories um, unbeknownst, thinking, oh, I'm eating healthy, I'm blending, I'm juicing, I'm doing so well. And you're like, why am I not losing weight? Well, it could be the fact that um, you just might be missing out on that fiber component that can really help with, with your appetite. Um, so the message here is n nourishing, okay? You want to eat to nourish your body. And plant-based foods that we talked about today in its whole food form, so as close to harvest as we can get it, um, eating it raw or just cooked till the color becomes peaked, is what we want to aim for, okay? Variety of colors, everything's good for us. Now, what also falls into our plant-based foods are the herbs, spices, teas, coffees, and dark chocolate, which I'm sure um, you've all heard about how good dark chocolate can be for us. These are all plant-based items, all right? So the darker the color, um, the better, the more dense the phytonutrients are, just like we were saying earlier. So you don't have to eat a large amount of these, and you don't have to take them in a supplement. You just need to add them to your food. And some common ones that are out there that a lot of times people don't recognize, onion, garlic, curry, ginger, those are all great plant-based foods with great phytonutrient um, benefits. So variety is really the key, and that's what we want all of you to know today. Um, choosing a variety is, is really the way to go. Now the chocolate, the reason why um, we talk about dark chocolate is because the color's rich, right? Um, as compared to milk chocolate where it may potentially have some paraffins or more cream in it that's been, um, it's been added to more than just the dark chocolate. That's why we, we actually encourage the dark chocolate. The color is much richer. Um, and sleep is very important. I know this has been touched on. It's going to be touched on, I know, I'm sure, in the, in the rest of the call. But um, I get a lot of questions about teas and coffees and if those are something that everyone should be doing. And um, just be cognizant of the amount that you drink. Really, we recommend about two cups a day, no more than two cups a day, um, because the caffeine that can be associated with a lot of these. So um, if you're drinking one that's decaffeinated, just make sure um, that it is and that you're staying hydrated um, throughout the rest of your day with other fluids. Now, the last portion of the plate, we've talked about the two-thirds portion. The last portion, the one-third that's left, is about our lean protein. Okay, now protein is very important for all of us. And... Um, a clean way to kind of look at proteins preferred over others is the type of fat in them. Um, we've heard about saturated fat and unsaturated fat. We've heard about omega-3s. And so what does all that mean, and how do you translate that into what to eat? Well, the guideline out there right now is 18 ounces or less of red meat each week. Okay, So that's for everyone. So we know that not everyone necessarily needs 18 ounces of red meat. And this is where I encourage you to go talk to your healthcare provider for your unique needs. But, um, but there are other proteins that are more preferred. Okay, And the reason why um, is 
red meats, including in this, red meats are beef, pork, and lamb. Um, some of even our um, wild game, because a lot of that's been processed to add fat back to it. Um, and they're oftentimes preserved with chemicals, which can increase your fiber risk. So things like hot dogs, ham, bacon, sausage, um, luncheon meats, things in the deli, you just really want to be cognizant of either eliminating or reducing because of some of the preservatives that are used. Um, but poultry, fish, and seafood have not been linked to in increased cancer risk. So um, we just, again, want to limit the portion to about one-third, eating what your needs are. And some good ideas um, for your protein sources um, to include would be a wild-caught fish. Okay, that's going to be a lean protein. And some of the cold water fish, such as your salmon, tuna, halibut, um, mackerel, herring, sardines, those are going to have more um, DHA and EPA, okay, the fish oils, the omega-3s that um, have actually been found across the board for overall health to be quite beneficial. Um, you can also, like I said, substitute with um, some other protein items, such as milk, yogurt, eggs, um, and some tofu, some beans. Those are some other really great um, protein sources that can be lower, um, lower in uh, saturated fat and processed chemicals. Um, I think the one thing I want patients to know out there is we want to eat to nourish, and you want to know what you need for you. Calories in excess can result in excess weight, okay? And it's very easy. There's a lot of misunderstandings about portion sizes and all of that. So that's really what you want to talk with your healthcare team about as well, is what do I need for me? And um, like was mentioned earlier, there are a lot of treatments that result in potential weight gain and, and other things. And so controlling your what you're consuming is one way to reduce some of that um, from resulting in additional weight gain that, you know, oftentimes is frustrating for patients and it's not what you want when you're going through treatment. So again, talking with your healthcare team about that. Um, I hope that that's been helpful and um, if you have any questions, I'll be um, excited to answer those for you later. I'm going to hand this back over to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. That was really wonderful and very comprehensive and very specific in terms of the particular types of foods and just really helpful. Um, so thank you. I know there'll be, there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Donna Wilson. And Ms. Wilson is a nurse, and she's also a fitness coordinator, a fitness coordinator Integrative Medicine Center, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And she's also a Dragon Boat um, team a leader, and she will tell you about that um, a bit herself. And it's, she's going to address the role of physical exercise, exercise and the quality of life, and exercise as part of your daily routine. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Wilson. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I'm a little bit passionate about what I'm going to be speaking about, so my goal here is that I could hope to inspire you all to move. I think the most important thing is I don't want you to think when you think of the word exercise or fitness, you know, I have a tagline and I, my goal for you is to keep moving um, and to keep moving using all your large muscle groups and ultimately it will make a huge difference in your all, all well-round being um, and your physical performance. 
But I wanted to just go back for a second and think about, you know, all the common side effects of, of cancer treatment. And, you know, fatigue is number one, pain, poor flexibility. You might have some chest tightness depending on um, what type of cancer you had. You might have muscular weakness or you might have a decrease or increased change in your body weight, body image. You might be anxious. You might have some osteoporosis from the treatment and sometimes peripheral neuropathy, which does cause some numbness in the hands and the feet. But on the other hand, if I wish I could have and show this to everyone, if I put um, the, all the information, the benefits of exercise next to that, it would be that exercise will decrease your level of fatigue. We know we could maybe decrease or maintain your body weight. We might improve the flexibility and your range of motion in all your joints. By moving and improving the flexibility, say you had surgery and, you know, where your surgical incision is, you might have some tightness over that area. That's scar tissue. If you do some, just some good stretching and movement, then we can get some flexibility there and that pain many times will decrease. By strengthening your legs and your, your large muscle groups, you're going to improve your balance. Um, and then your overall bone health by doing some resistance exercise of weight training. So, and again, when you look at all these things, it'll improve your energy level. And obviously, when you have more energy, it'll improve your quality of life. So it's so important that you incorporate it. I really believe that when we get a prescription for our cancer treatment, we should get also a prescription for exercise in the beginning. I think that the research is now showing that we know all the research that's been out there on exercise, and this is with almost all types of different cancer groups, if we get someone to exercise during their cancer treatment, that they have considerably less fatigue and they seem to tolerate the, the treatments much better. And there's a lot more research going on exercise and how exercise can, is going to make people feel. So in the next couple of years, we're going to be really uh, very excited about the research that's going on and how exercise can really change um, um, even sometimes the, our course of treatment. Um, the guidelines, most importantly, is that everyone from the American Cancer Society and the American College of Chest Physicians got together and we have guidelines and we really feel that we would like people to, to do, we suggest that you do 150 minutes of moderate exercise. So that's not, that would be like a good vigorous walk or if you play tennis it would be doubles not singles, that kind of thing, but just to keep moving. Um, and exercise can decrease sometimes the risk of even recurrence. I mean, that's the kind of research that's coming out now. Um, the most important thing I have to tell you is to avoid inactivity. There are days that I know that you may feel really tired or now, oh, wow, the treatment is over, and now I can just relax. Unfortunately, you have to keep moving. You've got to maintain those large muscle groups as strong as you possibly can. So if I, you know, was thinking about... How, what I could tell you to do over the telephone, I would say if you went online, you could find different exercises on the computer very easily. But a chair squat is something that is very simple. You can, you're supported by the chair underneath you. You're using all your large muscle groups of your legs and your buttocks, and it really will make a difference if you do 10 or 20 of those every day. 
stair climbing. Stair climbing, again, is probably the cheapest, simplest cardiovascular exercise out there. But remember, know how to use the power of your breath when you exercise. So when you put one foot on the step, you breathe out so that you use the power of the breath breathing out. I'm going to just interject and tell you the most important part of your breath is to breathe out so that when you're doing any physical activity, when you're lifting something or you're pushing something or pulling something, you always do it um, as you breathe out. So, you know, it's set yourself with some goals if you, but I think that the other thing I want to just take, spend on is that all these years that I've been doing this a long time is many times there's there's barriers to participation. People say, well, I'm too busy, or I have no willpower, or there's no gym access, um, I don't enjoy it, I, I feel self-conscious, or I'm not sure what to do. There's a lot of information out there, and um, we can always find some information. If you need to, you join a class, and you can have the, you know, the comfort of having other people around. But again, there's lots you can do in the comfort of your home. You, you know, we drink a lot of water through chemo, so you take two, two water bottles and you can use those as light weights. You have the stairs, as I mentioned, and do some stair climbing for some of your cardiac workout. You do the chair squat, so you can do it for your large bone bones. But I think I, I can't tell you enough that um, weight training should be probably done at least twice a week and um, more of your... 150 minutes, which is really only two and a half hours a week, you should be trying to do 30 minutes a day or less. Now, I'd like to spend two minutes and tell you that in the course of many uh, survivor groups, there's lots of things. There's fly fishing that some people do, but I um, put together a team, which is not new. It started in the late 90s, but my team started in 2009. Uh, it's called the Empire Dragon Boat Team, and it is all cancer survivors, and what we do is we exercise by going out in a dragon boat, which is a long boat with 20 paddlers, and we paddle against other teams. It is the most amazing transformation in all the men and women that I've trained for this dragon boat to see how they have improved their lifestyle through exercise. I think some of the quotes I would just like to say to you is um, from clients is they'll say to me, you know, I feel strong. And once I start exercising, it really is addicting because it makes me feel better. I feel that when I go traveling, I'm strong enough now to put my suitcase in the, in the overhead bin. Um, I have had them say, I like, as a cancer survivor, and I look fit. They feel their stamina is better. Their energy levels are better. They, re, they just feel that the, the all the intrusive kind of symptoms that you've had with cancer treatment is now just being reduced through exercise. And then, of course, their quality of life improves because you can go out and do the things with family and friends that you'd like to do. So I really would encourage you all, and I hope I have tried to inspire you the best I can, is no matter what you do, it's keep moving. Keep moving all the joints of your body. Keep moving all you know, the muscles, the large muscle groups of the legs and the arms and the back. It's so important. Think about your posture. Think about sitting up nice and straight. As you have better posture, you'll breathe better. But again, remember when you're exercising, you know that your breath will get, you'll breathe a little faster and your heart rate may go up, and that's okay. But the, then 
when you do exercise, look to see how long it takes you to recover. How long did it take you to recover to feel back to normal? If you're very tired, go and sit down for a minute between some of the exercises that you're doing. So I think most importantly, it is, to me, it's a win-win situation by exercising. Um, So I would like to end it there and just say, keep moving. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, um, Donna. That was really wonderful. Um, it's also wonderful. And that tagline of keep moving is really contagious and really quite wonderful to keep in mind for everybody. Um, and so thank you. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Sarah Kelly. And Sarah is an oncology social worker. She's our older adult program coordinator at Cancer Care. And Ms. Kelly is going to be addressing Cancer Care's free psychosocial services and programs and the role of support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Kelly. Thank you, Dr. Messner. As Dr. Messner said, I'm an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care, and I work with many people who are diagnosed with cancer and their loved ones. We've been talking today about managing your care, exercise and nutrition, and how that can be a part of that care and your quality of life. And I'd like to really begin by speaking about the importance of creating a support network as part of that care and how cancer care can be a part of that network. So a little about us, we are a national nonprofit organization. We provide free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling. We do that face-to-face in the New York area and over the phone nationally. We have support groups, which we also provide face-to-face in New York, and then we provide them over the phone nationally and online both nationally and internationally. We have education programs like the one we're on today. We can provide you with practical help, assistance navigating the healthcare system. We also have some limited financial assistance as well as chemotherapy copay assistance. All of our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers and they're completely free of charge. Oncology social workers um, really are trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and his or her family and friends. We are also trained to help cancer patients and their supports tackle the problems that accompany the disease, Um, financial demands, physical changes, social adjustment, and overall psychological impact in care. And I find that adjusting to and finding ways of coping with the diagnosis in all of those areas I just mentioned is an important part of the healing process, and I actually consider it to be a part of treatment. As you know, cancer affects the whole person. It affects uh, affects your entire support network. Asking for help uh, in coping with this by joining a support group or by contacting a social worker for counseling is a sign of strength. One thing I'd like for you um, to take home with you is that you don't have to do this alone. Joining a support group, you can connect with others who are going through a similar situation or experiencing similar problems. Individual counseling really provides a space that's just yours to talk about any concerns and navigate any of the issues I mentioned earlier. And these connections can help lessen the isolation uh, that can often come with a diagnosis. And again, feeling well emotionally, I find, helps you better deal with the diagnosis uh, and the treatment. And of course, I do consider it to be a part of that treatment. At this time, we are offering uh, an array of groups, both face-to-face, telephone, and online groups. If you are interested at all in joining a support group or individual counseling or even just finding out more about who we are, 
please call us. You can call our Hope Line at 1-800-813-HOPE, and that's 1-800-813-4673. I also recommend visiting our website. We have a very comprehensive website, and you find information not only on our support services, but on all of our programs, as well as on your diagnosis, treatment, and just different ways of coping as you go through it. And our website is www.cancercare.org. We've learned a lot from today's program. There's a lot of information to digest and get your arms around. We're here to help. We're here to help you understand what it means for you and also for your loved ones. If you have any questions about today's workshop or about our services, don't hesitate to contact us. And lastly, I really want you to remember that you are not alone in this. You do not have to walk the path alone. You know, Cancer Care Services are here to help. Thanks so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk today. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Kelly. That was excellent and really um, wonderful in terms of all the resources and everything, so thank you. And now we have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions. I'm going to ask Stephanie to bring all of our speakers on board, and uh, Stephanie will explain to you how to queue up for questions, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And if we don't get to your question at the very end, I'll tell you exactly how you can get your questions answered. We don't want anyone to leave the call feeling like you have a question that you didn't get to have answered, so we will get to that. But for now, let's see if we can take most of your questions. Uh, Stephanie? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Mr. Emil S. Your line is open. Hi, this is about water. Since my cancer surgery, I have a tendency to produce more urine while I am asleep, making frequent trips to empty my bladder during the evening. I'm on Vesicare to cut down those number of trips, but it is not 100% effective all the time. I also have cut down my fluid intake after 6 p.m. I'm afraid that I am not taking in enough fluids during the day, leading to possible dehydration, especially during the summer months. Can you recommend uh, any possible solutions to this problem? Well, thank you, Mill. That's an excellent question. Good to have you on the call. Um, let's see. I'm going to ask if, um, let's see, if Dr. Fleischman and Ms. Bearden can address that question. Um, Dr. Fleischman, do you want to go first in terms of just sure. the... Sure. Um, this is a problem uh, that certainly needs to be addressed, and the best thing to do is to speak to your treatment team directly. It's really hard to answer specific questions on an educational call when we don't have all of your background and all the information about the cancer. But you are bringing up an interesting point, and there are some cancers that can affect the way our body balances the amount of fluid we keep in and the amount we excrete, mostly through urine, but sometimes through the skin and through our breath. Um, so it really would be important to discuss it with them. I, I know that's not the kind of tip you wanted, but since we aren't treating you, it's hard to give specific recommendations, but this could be a sign that there's something about the cancer that needs a second look. And Ashley, um, Diana, do you want to comment about just the fluids and during the day and before you go to sleep and stuff like that? Well, you know, I actually I agree with um, what what, he would, what we were just saying. Uh, I think one of the biggest um, concerns, if you're if you're worried about the dehydration, um, is talking with your healthcare team because if you need to consume more during the day and you're already cutting out at six o'clock at night, um, it may be something that's more needing more of a medical intervention rather than just you know a scheduling a scheduling thing. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. So, um, I mean, we used to recommend that you go back to your treating healthcare team and that they might be able to make some excellent recommendations for you. Um, and thank you, actually. And that is true that, indeed, we um, please keep asking your questions, but there are some questions that really do require, of course, the full um, information. But it's an excellent question. It's a question I think that many people on the call may have and may be wondering about. So um, for others on the call who have that question, please take that question back to your healthcare team with all of our support. Okay, next, uh, next question, please. Our next question comes from DNH. Your line is open. Uh, yes, my question has to do with sodium. Um, if there's no particular um, blood pressure problem, would there is there any reason to restrict sodium with cancer? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, again, Dr. Fleischman and um, Ms. Bearden, do you want to address that question? Well, that's also a, that's also a good <laughs> question. Um, yes, uh, because um, your the way your body retains or excretes or, get, or, or uh, puts out sodium can be affected by the kind of cancer, the kind of treatment. Uh, specific medications may interfere or help your body get, uh, get rid of the sodium. And sodium is one of those things that has to be just in the right balance. can't be too far off. So um, that's an important question to bring to the people who know you the best. Um, they may think about a consultation with a kidney expert, or it may be just simply uh, one of the medicines that you are using or have used before for your cancer. Excellent. Thank you. And we have um, some online questions. Oh, well, actually, Diana, do you want to comment on that as well? Well, Please. yeah. I, and from um, the American Institute for Cancer Research actually does um, discuss sodium as part of their guidelines. And saying about at or less than 2,400 milligrams a day is, is their recommendation. Um, a high-sodium diet... Um, with preservatives and uh, like foods that have been preserved and, and that sort of thing, a lot of times removing that can really cut down on the sodium. But there are some cancers that have been linked to a high sodium diet, and so and as well as other health conditions. And so, um, yes, absolutely, being conscientious of it. But then again, talking with your team about any specific um, needs to be individualized for you. Few questions that are kind of um, they are for you, Diana, and I'm going to combine them. So I'm just going to um, I'll call them question one and then question two. So one is from question is Gabrielle: Is turmeric, cinnamon, and ginger good antioxidants to ingest daily? Or are actually turmeric, cinnamon, and ginger good antioxidants to ingest daily? And again, that may be something that has to be run by one's healthcare team. But are they um, products that? Um, yes, and Carolyn, you're right. Um, Put anything in your diet, um, in, in the amounts that we talked about, just putting it on your food in a normal amount is, is generally completely fine. If you're under treatment or you're having any other conditions, then definitely talk with your healthcare team. But these um, particular plant-based items actually are, they do contain phytonutrients and antioxidants, and that is true. They are a plant-based food. So um, from a diet perspective with someone who doesn't have any restrictions or other conditions, um, I would say absolutely incorporate these in your diet. And it doesn't have to be every day. Um, we get these same benefits from all, almost all of our plant-based foods. So there's not any that are more superior than others. So. And another question, are there have been reports about people who have tried to increase their amount of cinnamon 
by actually just breathing it in, which can be really irritating <laughs> to yeah. the lungs and the mm -hmm. esophagus. So when we say put it in the food, we mean put it in the food. Don't just put it on a spoon and try to swallow it dry because if it goes down the wrong way, it can cause a whole variety of problems that you want to avoid. That's an excellent point. And actually, I suppose that these all, some people can tolerate one and not the others. Or the two, they're very different tasting they're very products. Different. So very different, but, but just be careful with them. <laughs> okay, excellent. That's an excellent point. And then another question, um, are seitan and tempeh good protein sources um, for uh, Diana and actually? I'm sorry. Are seitan, are seitan and tempeh good protein sources? Oh, tempeh, yeah. Um, yeah, any plant-based proteins um, is fine, um, and it's good for you. Now, there are certain um, things that we want patients to know about when it's a plant-based protein. We want you eating it um, in its whole form. So soy-based proteins, for example, um, we want you to have this, the, the actual um, least processed soy. So things that contain a lot, and I guess the easier way to answer that is you want to avoid a lot of the isoflavins and the soy powder. So soybean, soy milk, tofu, those are all good protein sources. And then, a, yes, too. Yes. Again, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, there is uh, some fear about soy products, in, particularly in breast cancer, because mm -hmm. The, in, theoretically, soy can be digested by the body into something that's kind of like estrogen. Mm -hmm. So again, please discuss this with your healthcare team. Some people really believe that it's just the soy supplements, not the foods. Other people are more rigorously want the folks with breast cancer to limit um, their soy intake. There are um, cancer urologists who actually want men with prostate cancer to increase their soy intake, so please ask your team. That's an excellent point, and um, please do that. Actually, that's really an important point with, the, with these um, products. So indeed, you know, it, it, most of your healthcare teams will often ask you what you're eating, and if they don't, you can share with them what you're eating and see if they're okay with it, because it really is, so we're discussing general concepts here, but we want you to take it back um, to really um, to supplement with your healthcare team how it fits for you. That's really the most important thing, and they would be able to tailor it to you. And we have another question for Donna Wilson. What if you are, um, let me see, no, no, that isn't quite your question, Donna, in just a minute. Um, Well, the question is about about exercising, um, actually, uh, Diana. In terms of just um, how does one get started? Is I guess the question. How does get one get started? Yes. I th I think the most important thing is pick something that you like to do first, or even if you could just get a friend and go for a good long walk. Think about what you're doing. Think about you know, how you can incorporate into your activities of daily living. That, you know, you don't necessarily, if, if you have a home or you have an apartment and you have stairs, take the stairs up, you know, from, from your, to your apartment. Like maybe if you live on six, get off at four and walk up two flights. That kind of thing. So you start out really slow. I always tell people that when you start, don't ramp it up that you go really far. If you want to go for a walk, go for maybe a half a mile or go, you know, like in New York, it's very easy because we can say to people, go 10 blocks. 10 short little blocks is a half a mile or 20 blocks is a mile. 
and it really get, starts to get them going so you can monitor how far you're walking. If you live close to a mall, um, many times early in the morning or late in the afternoon, they have the malls open for, and there's walking clubs there. So that can make it much more social then. And sometimes people need the social part of it because they find that it, and then it goes much faster. Um, so I think it's just pick something out that's not going to be, you know, I don't expect anyone to go and join a gym. I don't expect that. I really expect you to just really do the activities that you can and then incorporate it and then keep, at, then keep growing. If you come across and you're doing an exercise and there's a problem, then obviously you ask your, you know, healthcare professional. But um, the most important thing is things like walking and stair climbing um, are really just keeping yourself in the active uh, lifestyle that you that you would like to be. And a question from Andrew. Apart from limiting intake of sugar to reduce the incidence of diabetes and other diseases, is there any truth to sugar feeding cancer cells? Dr. Fleischman, could you address that? Because that's a question that comes up a lot. And oh, another controversial topic. We're getting yeah. great. <laughs> there are... There are um, when you look at the chemistry of how food is digested, food become, goes, gets digested into a sugar or a sugar-like substance in our body that provides energy. Um, but there are a number of folks out there who believe that sugar intake of sucrose, glucose, fructose directly causes cancer. Um, it's very controversial. Uh, many people uh, are, who are proponents of this theory often have products that they're trying to sell. From a purely scientific point of view, it's not directly, sugars don't directly cause cancer. They are certainly a problem in diabetes and many other <laughs> types of illnesses, but not cancer. But eating sweetened foods in a, in a balanced way is uh, part of good nutrition, and those foods are generally naturally sweet rather than having um, sweeteners added of the natural or artificial kind. So it's a great question, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. Excellent. And our last late-breaking question we're going to take um, is um, the question about fatigue. Um, in terms of just coping with fatigue. And I wonder if, Stu, if you could say something about fatigue and also if Sarah could say something about fatigue. Sure. After working in this field for many years uh, and seeing people get so tired uh, in the middle of their treatments or as they're starting treatment and we say you need to increase your activity and move around a little more, people look at me cross-eyed and say, <laughs> how can I do that? I'm so tired to begin with, but it is counterintuitive counterintuitive, as you've heard from the other speakers, that actually adding activity within the limitations that you have actually increases your, your energy rather than decreases it. And thank you. And Sarah, could you comment on just how people in groups often talk about these things and what some of the issues are for them? Absolutely. You know, I think the biggest thing, and I know Ms. Wilson really stressed this, is to keep moving. And uh, Dr. Fleischman just said, oh, no, but that's counterintuitive. It's not. And this comes up in the group all the time when you're not feeling well from treatment, when you're struggling maybe with anxiety or feelings of depression because of everything, that can make you feel even more tired. 
doing something like getting up and moving will actually help your body feel better. Your mind and your body are connected. It may help if you're having anxiety, reduce the anxiety. It may help if you're having depression, reduce that feeling of depression. So keeping moving, doing all of that can really help. And it's just getting started. That can be the hardest. Um, but taking that first step is so important. And there is one more question, which I just want to, at what point during and, um, thank you, and during and or after treatment should I seek out a dietitian? And Diana, could you address that? Oh, sure. I think um, at any time during your treatment that where you're challenged to consume food, um, any problems at all with that, definitely reaching out to a dietitian is very helpful. You can actually do it at the beginning just to get some information, things you can expect. So at any point that you are ready to receive that information, I would encourage you to do it. There's not a wrong time, um, and there's not the perfect time. It's just whenever you're ready, and um, it's just a great opportunity for you to dialogue and get some more information. So. That's excellent. And I'm going to ask each of our speakers, actually, when is it a good time to seek out um, someone in terms of activity level? Um, Donna. Well, I think that it's very early on. I think that if um, when, she, when you get your diagnosis and you get your treatment plan, um, you really need to start to keep your body keep moving. Um, I have um, exercised people prior to surgery, and they have improved their surgical outcome, and they had a shorter length of stay in the hospital when we exercised before their surgical treatment. I've exercised, I did research with um, people during chemo and, um, and found that they had less fatigue during their treatment and they actually tolerated their treatments. I had a group of women that used to come to my exercise class and they always said if they exercised before they tr their, their chemo treatment, they always seemed to have done much better. And that's their just their clinical um, presentation of it. So I think it's don't wait until everything's over and then you know you really are coming to a point in a almost a debilitated state that everything feels like an incredible effort so that you want to start exercising very early on and it's think about large muscle groups the large leg muscles so that's walking and stair climbing the upper body the back muscles are strong so if you wait to that point that you get that weak it always it makes the the journey at the end of the cancer treatment so much longer so just try to do it as early as you can excellent and um, Sarah when should you seek out an oncology social worker Um, we probably would say we'd start early on in your treatment. You would want to seek out an oncology social worker early on um, uh, when you actually um, are starting to have some issues or starting your treatment. That would be a very good time. And Dr. Fleischman, when would be a good time to seek out your physician? I'm very biased. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that good, act, good activity that's tailored to you and the proper nutritional plan is essential to everybody starting there. Um, their cancer treatment, be it surgical or radiation therapy or medical oncology or hormonal therapy or targeted oral treatments or all of the above. Um, often your treatment team really can direct you in the right, in, in the right path, but if not, 
please ask for an oncology nutritionist and or um, a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist or a physical therapist or a, an experienced nurse or an occupational therapist or someone in your, environment, in your treatment environment that can help and accredited centers must have these programs in place. Well, I just want to thank everybody for I want to thank I want to thank our speakers who've been phenomenal. I want to thank all of you who've been listening on the call today and asked such great questions both online and on the telephone. And I also want to acknowledge that I'd said to all of you that I would tell you actually where you could call if you had additional questions and we really could stay on another hour or two because there are lots more questions. So, um, if you have any further medical questions that you did not get to ask or get answers to, I recommend that you call the National Cancer Institute at 1-800-422-6237. Again, that's 1-800-422-6237. They're a wonderful resource. The information specialists are there waiting for your calls. And if you have any questions about the practical or emotional aspects of coping with cancer, financial aspects of it, um, wanting to, information about a support group, you would simply call Cancer Care at 1-800-813-4673. 4673, again, 1-800-813-4673. Most importantly, as we conclude the call today, we don't want anyone on this call to feel that you're alone in coping with, with cancer, with your concerns about nutrition, and healthy eating, or any other questions that you may have. We want you to now feel that you're part of the cancer care community and that you can call us at any time, and our oncology social workers are here to help you. I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect, and everyone have a wonderful day.